You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Excited to be doing this webinar here today on some advanced Roth strategies when it comes to investing in real estate. So I've titled this podcast, I should say, this webinar, rolling over $276,885.42 from an IRA or in an IRA from stocks to real estate. So why that number? Well, about a week or two ago, when I was starting to work on this slide deck, that was the amount in the Vanguard account. So I am sharing this webinar for a couple of reasons. One is I'm actually going through uh, this conversion myself right now, and I'm evaluating the best moves I can make with this IRA account. So I wanted to share it. And also I want to get feedback, get questions from people as well, so I can learn from and also have questions poked into my thought process here. So I love questions. Uh, feel free to put them in the chat and also in the Q&A chat box. All right, so part of what I'm gonna share today is part two, which is an advanced strategy for potentially saving millions of dollars in taxes. Now, before I get on the details on here, I have to give you this disclaimer. I'm gonna be sharing a lot of numbers. These numbers are from models that I have built. It's from data I have gathered. I am not your CPA, I'm not your lawyer, I'm not your financial advisor. So go do your own research and make sure you talk with your team as well. And also, I this is not an offer of solicitation for any investment funds. We have separate webinars for those. This one's really meant to be educational, to help stimulate uh, ideas that you can do in your portfolio to maximize your return. So... If you don't know me, my name is Chris Lopez. I am the founder of Envision Advisors, also the co-founder of Property Llama. I've helped people generate or do hundreds of millions of dollars in sales all up and down Colorado. I've built a portfolio myself. I've invested passively. I've invested in my IRA account. And my favorite aspect of real estate investing for me is is the long-term planning, the long-term strategy, not the get rich quick money, but hey, over a 10, 20, 30 year type perspective, how can we make our money work, make it work in the current market cycle and find that sweet spot for the best return, the least amount of risk, and also the least amount of headache. So I broke this presentation down into three main sections. The first one is just going going into my situation and my background so you understand my numbers and where we're coming from. And I think a lot of you can relate to it. Then we'll do a comparison of stocks versus real estate in my IRA. So I'm going to compare the two and go through various options on there. And the third is I'm going to run you through an, a, the advanced strategy of converting the IRA to a Roth IRA that could potentially save millions of dollars in taxes. All right, so let's get the background on here. Uh, I am 41 right now, uh, and I based off all the numbers for 2024 since we're only weeks away, so I ran up to 42. So unfortunately, I aged myself one year for this presentation, but uh, you know, I'm a busy professional. I've got a wife, I've got two little kids. I have one more on the way. So like a lot of you out there, I'm in my prime earning years. I'm also in my prime busy years, right? Uh, there's just a lot to do between work and family and just enjoying life. So I stay very, very busy. Now, uh, I, we have $276,000 in, in 
traditional IRA. And this is actually a rollover account from my wife's uh, previous employer. So we did a 401k roll rollover once she left that job. Uh, gosh, that was like seven or eight years ago, I think. So quite a few years ago. So we rolled it over and got it out of the investments that they had, which were you know not great mutual funds, like a lot of 401ks out there. We rolled it over to an IRA at Vanguard. So, you know, they're both tax deferred, no taxes due at the time, but I rolled it over to Vanguard because they have a better selection, also cheaper fees. And so when I sat down and started reviewing my goals, I set a goal for about 20 years. So when I'm 62, I want to start taking distributions from the IRA. So at that point, should be retired. And at 59, you can start taking distributions without paying a penalty. So I'm ballparking right there around 60. And 20 years out is a good goal and good mindset for me. So I built this all around for 20 years from now. How can I maximize my distributions? All right, so I want to talk about a couple of my like my stock principle investing, uh, my stock investing principles because I'm comparing stocks versus real estate here. So one of the things I realized was that one of the best things you could do in the stock market is to minimize fees. Now my degree is actually in financial planning, and I could sit for the certified financial planner or the CFP exam. And one of my issues, one of the reasons I never became a CFP or a traditional financial advisor is because I can never get around this. All you know, I'm assuming a lot of you guys have seen the data out there that you know the lower the fees are, the better off you are when it comes to stock market investing. It's like 0.001% of uh, funds or fund managers or people actually ever beat the stock market net of fees. So that was one of the reasons I never actually went into the career field because I couldn't justify charging fees. And I was like, hey, you're better off just doing this keep it simple, stupid, investing in an index fund with no fees. You're gonna probably outperform what I can do. And so I've spent years debating that, modeling it, but I'm a firm believer that a low cost index fund or a low cost ETF with very low fees is the best way to go for 99% of investors out there, myself included. Now, my second stock investing principle is that I cannot beat the market. I tried day trading years ago um, and I was horrible at it. Didn't make any money. I tried doing some active trades more for a medium or long term. Again, I could not perform the market. And just like a reference, there's a lot of data out there that shows the impact of fees. Um, I also saw the same data that 99.99% of fund managers don't actually beat the market. So if I can't outperform the market, if I can't pay someone to outperform the market, why am I gonna bother? So I pivoted 15 years ago, I think at this point, to all broad-based index funds. So basically S&P style 500 investments. <clears throat> now I've done a few variations throughout there, but that is my core thesis there is lower fees and have a broad-based stock market. I'm curious out there if anyone else has a similar or different type of investing philosophy, but like those are my key ones out there is low fees and index funds. If you guys are on board with me, uh, let me know in the chat box. If you're not typing your strategy, I do like to hear what other people are doing. All right. So over the years, you know, I I started out like a lot of people thinking, oh, I'll do the, uh, you know, my age or 100 minus my age. I'll do a stock bond allocation. But I'm a huge Warren Buffett fan. And a long time ago, I pivoted towards the Warren Buffett strategy. And so I copied and pasted this uh, excerpt from portfolioslab.com. I'll read it to you. This portfolio follows the guideline 
that Warren Buffett has written in his will for his wife's trust in the 2013 letter to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. It states that the trustee should invest 90% in a low-cost S&P 5 index fund with 10% invested short-term government bonds. The basic strategy is to own a major slice of all American businesses that are bound to grow in total. Buffett believes this portfolio is superior to those obtained by most investors, whether pension funds, institutions, or individuals. Anyone else follow the Warren Buffett strategy here? And so here's a screenshot from the same website where it just shows visually 90% is invested in the S&P 500, and it's actually a Vanguard S&P 500 fund, and the other 10% in a Vanguard short-term fund. So roughly from my entire portfolio in stocks and bonds, I have about this 90-10 split. And the reason I like this is because, number one, I think Warren Buffett's a very, very smart human being, and I'm going to take his advice because you know he's a little bit more successful than me. So I believe that's a great way to do it. And plus, I like the idea of staying in growth mode. Um, I think, you know, keeping more assets in higher earning uh, fits my risk profile because I can handle the volatility of it. Like the bounce, the daily and then monthly and annual bouncing around of prices. I don't lose sleep over that. Um, so it fits my strategy well in the long run. If I can make a higher rate of return, I will be richer in the long run. So across the entire portfolio, which this is a good chunk of it, you know, some other IRAs, some Rasta, some uh, HSAs, we keep about a 90-10 strategy between uh, a Vanguard index fund, the S&P 500, and just various short-term bonds or, or debt stuff. So here's a snapshot of my wife's IRA on here. And so this is what I took, uh, you know, from December 8th. So we have, or she has $269,000 in the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, the Admiral, share, Admiral, shares, Admiral shares, that's a hard word to say today. Got them invested in there because that was like the lowest fee. And then I have about $3,500 invested in some fund money into Tesla. So obviously like 90 some percent in Vanguard there. So here is a chart of the growth. So you can see here, and actually, I'm going to, I think you guys can see my mouse pointer here. So uh, July 18 is about when we rolled this over from the old employer into the IRA. About $150,000 back then. That's this yellow line right here. And that shows the value of the purchases. This blue line is the market returns. And you can see overall, it has gone up as now valued about $269,000. So, Something I want to point out here too is that we are showing a or Vanguard showing an 11.1% rate of return. So from July 2018 to December 2023, this portfolio has returned about 11.1%. So I'm very happy with that because it is double digit. It's above the historical norm in the stock market, uh, and obviously we've had some you know big growth years when interest rates went zero a few years back. But I learned over the years to always see how these rates of returns are calculated because everyone seems to calculate them differently. So I hovered over the box on here, and this is just a screenshot of what popped up. Essentially, what it says is that Vanguard uses IRR. So this is a great way to compare returns between stock and real estate. So we can just say, hey, when we're comparing these, we get a, really, a pretty good apples to apples comparison. So Assuming I, I make about 11% the last six years in the account. 
All right, now here's a snapshot of the $3,600 currently of the Tesla investment. So I think I invested about, looks like maybe 32 or $3,300 in June of 2022. So basically what happened is uh, I think there were some dividends paid out and apparently I don't have them auto reinvest. So I felt like buying Tesla that day for a bit of fun money. I do keep like one or 2% of the portfolio to have fun with. I really don't do any research. I will just kind of buy something I think is a good deal at the moment. Um, so not very scientific, but it's, it's fun. Um, and you can see the growth here. And as it usually is, that rate of return is 6.4%. So uh, whenever I go out there and pick a stock or make an investment, I do what I normally do. I underperform the average stock market. So over the last year or two, I would have been be better off with this in the S&P 500. Obviously, this is like a 1.5% balance of this portfolio. So it's you know, not going to make a difference. But every time I do this, most of the time, I am underperforming the stock market. I'm sure no one else out there has uh, has those issues. So while I'm doing all this, I always have a constant debate with myself because you know I, I invest in real estate actively. Uh, all my energy, you know, all my business, all my entrepreneurial energy is all faced around real estate investing. You know, I I meet so many investors. I look at deals all the time. I'm always calculating different strategies. I get to see some really cool advanced strategies that many investors, a lot of these institutions are doing. And so I can consistently go out there and outperform my returns using real estate than I can the stock market. Because I think in real estate, at least for me, um, you know, real estate, I think there is, uh, there is, uh, you can get a better return by being active in there. And I say active, like uh, researching, studying, making certain investments and picking it, like being more active. Like me reading Bloomberg two hours a day does not help me make more in the stock market. Me spending a few hours a month reading the news, looking at investments in real estate, I can consistently outperform the stock market. So that's how it's been for me about the last 10 years, or I guess 12 years of investing. And also just looking forward, like I just see so many better deals in real estate. So I always have this debate of, well, you know, should I just shift more and more money over to real estate because I can get a better return, I have more control, and I do feel like real estate, I can get a better risk-adjusted return on there, meaning I have less volatility and I do have control. And unlike the stock market, when I pick real estate deals, I generally do pretty well. And so I always have this debate because, you know, 20 years ago when I started investing in stocks, I was like, oh, well, once this money is in this account, once it's in the stock market, I will never, ever touch it. And that has been my, my, mental, uh, my mental anchor for years and years and years. But Every year I get more into real estate, every year I get better returns on real estate and I get more of the roller coaster of the stock market, I question myself a lot more. So I decided to go out here and build a model uh, to compare what I can see in stocks versus what I can see in real estate. So here is a spreadsheet that I built um, showing the Buffett return model. So there's a lot going on here. So I'll, I'll spend a minute and walk you through because we're gonna use this model throughout quite a bit of the webinar now. So this is my assumption of investing 90% in the S&P 500 and 10% in bonds for, you know, until I'm 100 years old for the next 60 years. Now, doing some online portfolio optimization or, you know, builder, uh, it should produce about 10% a year in returns. The 11% I showed you earlier, and that's just higher than normal, but between nine and 10% is what I was forecasting based on some various modeling. So I just kept that 10% for keep it simple, stupid. So I'm assuming in 2024, uh, since we're weeks away from there, 
we are going to invest this. So I'm 42, we got $276,000 and we're gonna invest at 10%. So I just compound that over the years. Now in this next column, I have the withdrawal rate. Uh, so I, you know, if you, if you worked with a financial advisor or you studied on there, I'm sure you've heard about the safe withdrawal rate of 4%, which basically means you can withdraw 4% of your portfolio as a safe rate to where you can live off of that, but never reduce the principal to zero. So three to 4% is the common uh, stand, uh, common number that the vast majority of financial advisors and do-it-yourself uh, stock investors, that's what they pick. So I went with 4%. And then this is a IRA, so that's tax deferred. So when I start pulling the money out, I do have to pay taxes on the money. So I put in here 30%. Now, of course, this is very speculative because, hey, when I retire, am I going to be in a higher bracket, a lower bracket? What's the government rates? I don't know. But here's what I picked. And so what I what I what this model does here is I got $276,000. I make 10% this year. My ending balance is the investment gain plus the balance, here's the balance. So I just repeated that all the way until I get to age 62. Because this is right now when I'm planning on starting withdrawal from here. So I'll have about $1.8 million in the stock account, and I'll be making about $186,000 a year at a 10% rate of return. Well, I'm gonna withdraw 4% of that 1.8 million, which is about $75,000. Now, $75,000, 30% goes to taxes, so about 22,000. I am left with about $52,000. So my after-tax cash flow is about $52,000 a year based on the simplistic forecasting of 10% rate of return, 4% withdrawal rate, and a 30% tax bracket when I retire. Now, of course, as it goes out, you know, I went all the way out to when I was 100. Uh, so hopefully uh, I'm around that long. But then, you know, what happens, it shows the stock accounts at 17 million. My withdrawal rates at, what, almost half a million dollars a year. So obviously that is just very long-term compounding. So what I'm looking for here, hey, this isn't at zero. It's not a really low number. So I'm very happy with that. So that means I probably have some wiggle room in underperforming my gains or potentially taking more money out. All right, if you guys have any questions throughout here, uh, type in the chat box. I do, I'm very happy to go into more details and debate any numbers. So as I alluded to earlier, um, my thought process is, okay, what if I take the same amount of money and I invest it in real estate since I feel like I can outperform what I can do in the stock market with Buffett's 90-10 strategy? So what if I invested this IRA money into real estate? So let's go down this rabbit hole and this is where it gets exciting. So from a high level, I do wanna make a note here that uh, if you wanna invest in real estate with your IRA or an old 401k, it needs to be a self-directed IRA or a self-directed 401k. There's some other terms out there about that, um, but that's the, the most common term is a self-directed IRA. What that does, it has all the same benefits of being tax deferred, same contribution limits, same rules. The biggest difference is that most traditional IRAs only allow you to invest in stocks and bonds. Self-directed IRAs allow you to invest in real estate, crypto, uh, artwork, uh, wine. Like there are some rules around it, but it gives you a lot more flexibility in what you can invest in. Now, sometime next year in January, we are going to do a detailed webinar on the mechanics of understanding the differences on here. 
But on this webinar, I'm not going to those details because we'll talk about it in the future and also go spend some time on Google. And there's a lot of great articles out there. I want to spend focused on mechanics of how can I get the best return for me, my family, and eventually I got to pay for three kids' colleges and weddings down the road. All right. So I have to convert this IRA to a self-directed IRA. That'll take some time and very minimal fees. So less than, you know, should be like less than $500. So all minimal on there. So over the years, I have looked at constantly doing this myself. I've helped a lot of investors evaluate the best options they have. And I would say from a simplistic standpoint, there's really three main options you have as an investor to go out there and invest in real estate. One is buying rentals. So we all talk about going out there and buying a rental property. Now your IRA or your 401k, assuming it's self-directed, go out there and buy a rental property. That will be Chris Lopez IRA owns uh, you know, rental property 123 on Market Street. Now, there's a couple downsides with it. And, and I have literally talked a few dozen people over the years out of not using their IRA to buy a rental. They come to me as a real estate broker saying, hey, Chris, I've got $300,000 in my IRA. Can you help me go out there and buy a rental? Um, and I say, hey, let's look at the numbers. I personally don't do it. And I have talked them out of it. I've also talked myself out of the commission because I'm like, hey, these numbers don't make sense to me. Uh, if you want to invest, feel free to. But here are the numbers and I want to do this. So buying rentals on here. Um, what you have to understand is when you buy a rental, you cannot be actively managing it. There are rules around you being actively involved in the investment in a self-directed IRA. You cannot be actively involved. So you can't property manage yourself. You can't do any work yourself. You have to th hire third-party contractors and property managers to manage all of it. They want kind of like an arm's distance of, of you, the owner and the investor and the asset. So if you're a hands-on investor, that's a no-go for a lot of investors. Secondly, you're buying this in your IRA, so you can get debt on there, but debt is a lot harder to get because it's a non-recourse loan. They're lending your the IRA money. They're not lending Chris Lopez. And the IRA only has that $276,000 on there. They can't go through the IRA and come get other assets of mine. So what you end up getting is loans that need a higher down payment and have a higher interest rate. I have not looked at the loan options since interest rates spiked this year, but when interest rates were in the threes and fours in the good times years ago, and you could do 25% down at 4%, uh, we were seeing IRAs at like 35 to 50% down at you know five to six and a half percent. So a significantly higher down payment and also higher interest rate. Where back then the numbers weren't great. And now I think it'll just be even, you know, higher, higher numbers now. So the numbers in all the years we're looking at are just not attractive for directly owning. Plus, um, the last thing on here is when you buy through here, if you have depreciation, you're not gonna be able to use it. And so this is actually a great question here that Michael um, just asked. Michael says, how do you use depreciation or bonus depreciation with a self-directed IRA? So I'll keep answering this out through a few parts because it gets, it gets a, it's an onion. There's a few layers to it. But in terms of buying a rental, you go out there, Michael, and you buy, uh, you know, one, two, three Market Street, go buy the condo on there. Your IRA cannot use the depreciation because it's already a tax deferred. So while the property generates depreciation, um, it doesn't really do much benefit for you as the investor. Now again, understand I'm giving you like 90% of the picture and keeping it simple. There are a lot of nuances on here. Make sure you talk to uh, someone to really do due diligence on here.
All right, another option you can do since buying a rental is really just not attractive. I see a lot of investors go out there and do lending. They become a private lender or a hard money lender themselves where the IRA, Chris Lopez IRA says, hey, Michael, you need, uh, you know, hey, you're doing a fix and flip. You need a $200,000 loan. Hey, I will give you that $200,000 loan at a 10% interest rate. So I become the bank for Michael while I was out there doing his hypothetical hypothetical project. So it's great because, um, you know, that's, I've seen a lot of people do it with self-directed IRAs because you can make a very strong cash on cash return. You know, uh, eight to 12% is typically what I've seen. Sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little bit lower, but eight to 12% is a very common one. And then, you know, you get to underwrite, hey, do I feel comfortable, you know, lending on this property? Do I feel comfortable lending to Michael, who the investor is? And you can lend the money out there. Um, the problem for me, why I have never done it is, well, partly because I've never done it before. So I'm always less shy of doing it. But I, you know, it's all great until you have to go foreclose on a property. And I've heard a couple of horror stories where people do this and they loan on a property in Michigan. The property goes to foreclosure. Well, now they have to go in there and, repossess the property and start the foreclosure process. So um, there can be some very hands-on downside to it if things go south. But like, I think lending is a much better uh, option than buying a directly owned rental uh, property in a self-directed IRA. Now, what's become even more popular last couple of years is that now there's more of these like funds or debt funds where you can invest into and you're pooling your money with other investors with like a hard money lender they're lending out the individual notes individual properties and all the underwriting and take care of all that and you're truly passive where you're just taking like eight to ten percent and they're loaning out at ten to fourteen percent so you have the ability to like you're diversified across you know 50 or 100 loans over their portfolios plus you're not actually having to go out there and underwrite individual loans so i have seen that become a lot more popular last couple of years and i've invested part of my portfolio into funds like that as well all right, and this kind of leads us into passive real estate investing, uh, which I would put those debt funds or hard money funds in the passive because you're not out there being active in the note lending and you're also not out there being active in buying a rental property. So passive is where you're just the investor and then there's an operator or sponsor who's doing the work and the operator may be a hard money lender out there, you know, giving the loans to people or maybe the operator out there operating a, a property. So really great returns this way because you don't have to worry about the debt, uh, you know, the, the debt situation or IRA because the sponsor is getting the debt. You don't have to worry about operating the property. And I think in terms of like rules um, and how you can maximize returns in the marketplace, I think this is a sweet spot for IRA investing. So I built a model here to say, hey, if I took the same amount of money, $276,000, and I invested this into a real estate growth fund. So, you know, like a multifamily real estate fund. Um, or a development fund, just somewhere where it's going to be not a, a loan, but it's going to be a growth type of income fund. So it's all the exact same variables in here. I got $276,000, uh, same timeline, same withdrawal rate, same taxes. I changed one variable. I changed the rate of return from 10% to 17% because passively, I see a lot of funds. I think there's a high a high ability that you can target about a 17% annual return in the current uh, landscape, at least for the next you know, handful of years, if not decade or more. So what happens, I did the same thing, go out to a little compound, wanna hit 62, now I can start withdrawing. 
Now at 62, my portfolio is about 6.4 million and I can withdraw about a quarter million dollars a year, about $250,000. Now about $76,000 in taxes, about $180,000 in after-tax money coming to my bank account. So let's compare these two. Um, in the two very left columns over here, I got the year and the age. In this uh, middle column, I've got the Buffett 90-10 split. So this is what I sh first showed you the model. And then in the far right, I've got the passive real estate investing. So the Buffett 90-10 is at that 10% return. The passive real estate investing is at the 17% return. So all we've done here is we've changed it from an IRA to a self-directed IRA. And I've changed the underlying investment from stocks at 10% to real estate or passive real estate at 17%. Now, assuming all everything goes according to plan, in 20 years, when I'm 62, the comparison is 1.9 million or about two, I should say about 2 million and $52,000 a year or about 7 million and $180,000 a year in income. That difference in income is 243%. So we're talking a big number here. So a 243% difference is the potential I'm looking at. So here's my question to you, because this is what I'm asking myself right now. Uh, in the future, in 20 years, when I'm 62, which is really hard for me to think about right now, but I'm 62, I'll have 52,000 or $179,000. Well, I assumed a 3% annual inflation rate for the next 20 years. Uh, and if that was in today's numbers, because I need to kind of think about that in today's numbers, that'd be the equivalent of about $29,000 versus 100,000. So 30,000 versus 100,000. Well, I mean, hey, I will, anyone out there want to write me a check forever for either of those numbers, I'll take it. But I obviously want the higher number here, like 30,000 is a great number and that can support a lot in retirement. $100,000, wow, you can live off of that. Um, and if not, it's gonna add a, you know, just adds another stream to a great lifestyle. So, I mean, like that is a big difference for retirement. So out there, if you guys hear these numbers, I'm curious what anyone do or their thoughts on here because there's risk. Um, I've had, I also have this like deep rooted programming from I think, you know, just my, my 20s and being a financial planner that I can never move out of stocks. But every year I'm like, wow, I wish I was in real estate. I wish I wish I had more in real estate. I wish I had more in real estate. So I'm curious out there if anyone sees the difference of $30,000 versus $100,000 in today's numbers and 20 years from now for buying power, what would you lean towards? Um, does this make the case for anyone saying, hey, I'm going to go from a stock to a real estate investment? All right. Well, some questions and answers coming off of there. I do want to take a break and talk about what Property Llama Capital does. And so Property Llama Capital is passive investing. We help active landlords get into passive investing. So a lot of this is just like myself, myself, my clients over the years, we want to go out there and find the best deals. We want to go out there and get our capital working the best. And right now, passive investing is consistently giving better returns than active investing by buying rentals. So we're taking a lot of the knowledge economics we have and also helping real estate investors optimize their portfolio. All right. So I see some comments coming in here. I see a few people saying, yes, take the more money. Yes, I'm converting to real estate. Uh, one person actually says they just cashed out their 401k two years ago, invest in real estate. Very happy. Bought a fourplex. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that's some good food for thought.
Now we're going to the advanced strategy. This is the, the second part of the presentation. And this, I'm pretty sure I will lose some people on. So I'm going to give you a very simplified version about a really powerful advanced strategy. And this is what I'm considering, where you can do a Roth conversion to potentially save millions of dollars in taxes. All right, let me walk you through this. And this kind of brings up the age's question of, hey, do I pay take, do I pay taxes now or do I pay them later? Because, you know, from a high level, the traditional IRA, if you make a contribution to your IRA or 401k, you get some tax savings now because you're deferring your taxes. Now, you get tax savings today, your account grows tax deferred, and when you start pour, pulling money out, you're going to pay taxes at that income tax bracket. The Roth is where you pay money today. And so you pay your taxes today, but then your money grows and then you can withdraw the money later tax-free. So there's three really big variables in here that you have to keep in mind. One is what is gonna be my retirement tax bracket? Now, this is so hard to go out there. Um, this is so hard to go out there and like, you know, know for certain. You know, now right now I'm in a higher tax bracket. I get a lot of real estate depreciation. So my tax bracket has been pretty low the last couple of years, which is really nice. It's been huge tax savings today. Now, a lot of times, you know, when people retire, their income goes or their tax bracket is lower because they no longer have a job. So income along with their expenses are lower. Now, I am optimistic between you know, my investing capabilities and the businesses I'm building. I think I'll there's a good chance I'll be in a higher tax bracket because I'll just have hopefully lots of income coming in. And that is a really, you know, that's the ideal scenario. Now, another question is what the heck is going to be the U.S. government's income tax rates? Now, um, you know, this is very debatable, and I'll give you my two cents on here. Um, no one has an idea what's going to happen in 20 years to the tax brackets. Um, my best guess for just me as investor, I think income tax rates will go up. Um, just based on the way we're spending, the based on the deficit issues, like um, we have a hard time of not spending as much. And so we have to bring in more revenue. Now, without getting, you know, not opening can of worms of politics, everything I'm seeing, I think will be, I think the government will have higher tax rates then. But of course, that kind of comes down to what your best guess is. And then the third option is, What's your rate of return? Hey, if you're investing at 5%, 10%, 20%, that makes a big difference because the bigger your rate of return is, the bigger the difference you get by paying taxes today. Because $100,000 that can grow at 20% will be a lot more than $100,000 growing at 10%. So you'll pay less taxes on that in the future. So those are three big things to keep in mind. So with the Roth conversion on here, the trick is... Anyone go out there and go convert your IRA or 401k to Roth, you know, generally speaking. Now that happens, if that if I have that in stocks, I'm going to pay taxes on $276,000. But if you invest passively in real estate, and I should say certain real estate funds that are like illiquid, so like the, the development funds or multifamily value-add funds, you pay taxes on fair market value. Now, the fair market value can be calculated, uh, you know, there's different ways to calculate it. I shouldn't say different ways to calculate it. Based on the asset, they'll it'll they'll have different ways of calculating it and going through a few tests. So if I were to go out there and pay taxes at the fair market value of my stocks right now, and let's just say it's 30%, $276,000 times 30% is 
It's about $83,000 in taxes. Now, taxes would be higher if I did in one year, but this is just a simplified example to kind of show you comparing assets. So I'll pay you know $83,000 in taxes. That's a large chunk of money. So I'll pay $83,000 in taxes now. Is gonna can I make that uh, can I make that up in growth in the future because I'm losing that money now to invest? So passive real estate investing opportunities provide some really unique opportunities for some lower conversion fair market values. So let me walk you through this, kind of actually tell you the steps and I'll actually show you the numbers. So here is a simplistic way to go through it. Step one: move your IRA to a self-directed IRA. So you have to convert it over. Step two: invest in a real estate limited partnership. And that's going to be like a said, a, a multifamily value add fund or development deal, because there's two things uh, that will greatly impact you being able to like get a, a reduced fair market value. And step three is to go out there and do fair market value. Now, to get a reduced fair market value assessment, they look at two things. Hey, do you have control? And is it liquid? So Let's look at a debt fund. If you're out there investing in a in the stock, actually stock market first. You're in the stock market. Do I have control? Uh, no. I you know well yes. I have some control in picking which stocks, but not the companies. And do I can is it liquid? Yes. Stocks are very liquid. We know how much my Tesla stock is worth right this second. Do I know how much my real estate investment is right this second? No. That's muddier. So if you invest in a fund, if it's not liquid, you don't have control, aka an apartment syndication, uh, you can get a lower fair market value. And when they do this fair market value, you can often write down your investment 35 to 50%. So rather than me paying taxes on $270,000, I'll pay it on 35 to 50% less on there. All right, I see some questions coming up here. Feel free to uh, type them in. And I'm going to answer them here in a couple minutes. So step five is then to convert it should say convert your IRA to a Roth IRA. So now we're going from tax deferred to a Roth IRA. And then when you when that happens, you're gonna pay taxes today or the year that you're doing it in. And then long-term, your investments and then your future distributions grow tax-free. All right, so it's easier to show you than go through all the steps on here. Um, so here is that same screenshot, but now I'm modeling. I put this money from a traditional IRA in the stocks. I convert it to a self-directed IRA and invest it into, let's say, an apartment syndication deal. Since it's an apartment syndication deal, I'm going to have pay capital gains at fair market value. So I'm taking 65% of $276,000, and actually, let me zoom in on here. So, where I have pay capital gains at fair market value, 65% of the balance. So earlier I showed you $276,000 times 30%. Well, now what I'm doing is $276,000 times 65% times 30%. So rather than paying $80,000 in taxes, I'm paying about $54,000 in taxes. Now, again, to understand what's going on here, if I have the money invested in the syndication, and a lot of times you need to sit there for like six months to a year and a half to let it be seasoned, um, the reality is, is I don't have control over it, nor is it liquid. There is not an efficient market like the stock market when I go out there and sell my shares that day. 
If I want to sell those shares, I have to go through a private process, talk to the manager of the real estate deal, get permission to sell it. And then oftentimes I'll have to sell it a discount for someone else to come buy it. So I don't have control, nor is it liquid. So it meets those two criteria to where I can often write the value down. Now, people, why do people do this? Well, it's kind of like the way you take depreciation. It's uh, uh, on paper, it lowers the value of the asset so I can maximize my tax savings today. So everything else is the same. All that I'm calculating is I'm paying $54,000 out of my balance of $276,000. So now I have a lower balance because I'm paying taxes out of there. Now, as that grows, um, we're going to compare how that grows over the years. But at age 62, my balance will be worth about $5.3 million, and I can withdraw about $213,000. But then look at this. I'm paying zero in taxes. So I withdraw two hundred thirteen, dollars but since it's a Roth, I don't owe any taxes. So it doesn't matter what my income tax bracket is. It could be 35%. It doesn't matter if the government has made it 50%. I don't pay income on there. So I get to keep that tax-free. All right, now I want to emphasize that this is a simple example. I am excluding UBIT, which is a just thing you have to keep in mind if you're investing with a self-directed IRA into real estate. It will have minimal impact on these numbers I'm showing you, but it won't have a drastic impact. Again, make sure you talk to your financial advisors to go through that. And also when we do a deeper dive into setting up a self-directed IRA or 401k, there are some options in there to where you can, uh, you know, not have to pay Uber if you do a 401k. So I'll do a deeper dive on that in a webinar in the future. I want to keep this on financial concepts and also require required minimum distributions. Uh, Roths and 401ks and IRAs, they have a required minimum distribution that when you're, I think it's 70 and a half, you have to start taking money out. And the government does that because if you don't take money out of your IRA, they don't get uh, their taxes. They start making you take the money out. And I misspoke. It's not for Roths. It's for IRAs and 401ks, traditional ones. They force you to do that so they can go out there and get their tax revenue. Makes sense from that standpoint. But again, and keeping it simple, if we went to that details, we'd be here for an hour. I'd put you guys to sleep. All right, now here's this comparison. So now I'm comparing a passive real estate IRA with the passive real estate Roth IRA conversion. So um, I forgot to screenshot over the uh, the ages over here, but where it's green right here, uh, the balance of a passive real estate traditional IRA is about 7.2 million. And my after tax about 183,000. Now the Roth has a lower balance of about 6 million, but I have a higher tax flow, uh, after tax cash flow of about $213,000. So it's a 19% better return on here if I do the Roth conversion. <laughs> so from here, I actually keep more cash flow. But again, this is greatly impacted by my personal income tax bracket and what the government is. Now, I estimated my income was at 30%. Now, if my tax bracket is at 10% or 5%, I'm better off doing the, the, uh, the traditional IRA because I don't have a big tax burden. So the higher your taxes and the higher rate of return investments, the more advantageous doing a Roth conversion is. The lower your rate of return and the lower your retirement tax bracket, 
the less advantageous, advantageous it is. From a high level, that's a matrix to keep in mind. All right. So there's just a lot of variables and factors into what you should do. But my goal here is to get you like thinking and be inspired to run these numbers and start doing some lot more detailed planning for yourself and also sitting down with your financial planning team to look at your stocks, bonds, retirement age, and, and how that income is coming in as well. So here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing with to this $276,000. I'm converting the IRA to a self-directed IRA to invest passively in real estate. Why? Well, because if you remember, the difference was like $50,000 in future cash flow or $180,000. It was a huge difference. It was like 250% better difference. So to me, those gains are so much better. It's a no-brainer because I just get such, an, uh, I get such a huge outsized return. Now, at the moment, I am not sure if I'll be doing a Roth conversion because when I look at that cash flow difference, you know, paying... Fifty dollars to $80,000 in taxes a day is a large chunk of money. And then in that simplistic modeling I did here, the difference was what $180,000 versus $220,000, like a 20% difference. So like it's a much smaller difference uh, in my current forecasting. And so that's much smaller. It's like, oh, that's like less of an obvious choice. When I look at that fifty dollars versus $180,000, yeah, that's just a big difference. It's a no-brainer. 180 versus 220, it's a a much smaller difference. So here's the beautiful thing about it. I'm going to invest these funds uh, into most of them be these growth funds, these multifamily value-add funds, these development deals, items like that, where if I want to do a Roth conversion in a year or two um, to do a fair market value study, I will have the ability to, because these have to be invested. Uh, The money usually is deployed. And usually six months, year and a half is an ideal time frame. I've heard from CPAs and people that do these studies, it's a great time to do it. So I'll invest it and I'll look next year when I have a better idea about my tax situation. Plus, I'm going to run some more models on UBIT. Uh, and also, hey, if I pay the taxes out of my Roth IRA, or do I pay those taxes outside of like, you know, other money I have because you have that option as well. So I want to do a lot more modeling on there. But from a high level, it's such a no-brainer to convert my traditional stock IRA to a self-directed IRA domestic real estate. The returns are such a, you know, the, the cash flow and returns are such a drastic difference. That's why I'm doing it. All right. So again, uh, I got a bunch of questions here. I'll start answering in like one minute. Uh, I did put a QR code up here uh, because a big thing that we use the Property Llama tool for is helping people model out their portfolio, help model ideas, help them plan their scenarios. And that's a big part we want our, we want to be able to do with our active landlords. We have a lot of people out there selling rentals, investing in these properties. We have, uh, I've met quite a few people who have bought rentals through IRAs and now they're selling those rentals and they're investing passively. Some with us, uh, uh, some with other uh, sponsors, some are doing some hard money lending. Uh, And one of the things we like to do here is we like to offer a one-on-one action plan to sit down and actually review your portfolio and review your goals. Now, again, we are not your financial advisor. We're not your CPA. We're not your lawyer. We are fellow investors that love talking shop. And also, if you do end up investing in one of our funds, uh, we will make commission off there essentially. So we do have some financial incentive and all transparency to get people investing in these funds with us. But again, these are funds that we're investing ourselves in as well. Like I'm selling my rentals and buying these funds. I'm converting my IRA and investing in these funds as well. 
All right. So I'm leaving the QR code up here for a minute. We'll answer a few questions. And Jules, I see some other, some hands raised. If I'm not quite sure to answer that, but if you can help me out, that'd be awesome. But Michael came in here and said, I liquidated uh, $50,000 uh, $50, in my 401k balance, paid $5,000 in penalties because when you, or, you know, take the money out before 59 and a half, it's a 10% penalty you pay plus income taxes. Bought a $500,000 property, did bonus depreciation, and uh, had $100,000 of the depreciation losses applied to his W-2 income uh, using his wife's real estate professional status and saved $25,000 in taxes and, and now has a cash flowing asset. All right. So first off, awesome job, Michael. Uh, you won that round of Monopoly, or you won a few rounds of that Monopoly. Uh, that is like the way to think about this. Like you have your head wrapped around here, and I've seen a lot of investors do this. So I did not model this strategy, but rather than Michael converting it, he just withdrew the money and paid the penalty, the 10% penalty, and also paid taxes on there as well, and then went there and reinvested the money into a half a million dollar rental property. Now, break this down. He did a cost segregation study on this new asset, which, um, as we all know, you know, rental properties give us depreciation and they normally give us like two or three percent depreciation a year of the face value of the property. A cost segregation study and some current favorable tax laws allows us to front load that depreciation, oftentimes like 10 or 15 percent. So we get a big tax savings this year. And then. Uh, if you're a real estate professional, uh, which is, you know, just means you're you're active and a good part of your your career and your professional time is spent in real estate, you can uh, then take that full depreciation and use it to offset your taxes. If you can't, there are some rules you can usually offset about $25,000, but it's a really, really advanced way to go out there and invest, um, invest in these deals and offset uh, your taxes. Now, we also have a lot of people doing a very similar strategy where they're selling their rentals, not doing a 1031, and then buying another rental or buying a fund with lots of depreciation, using that to offset a lot of their taxes. So Michael, hats off. Like I said, be proud of that. And I think that's a really good strategy. Look, I've seen lots of people do that over the last couple of years. All right, yes, a question coming in. If you scan this QR code, um, it will take you to a booking. Angeline says, can you share the spreadsheet so I can input my numbers? I'm, I'm hemming and hawing, Angeline, because like I, I built this spreadsheet for myself. Yeah, if you want it, I'll give you a copy of it. Um, if anyone wants it, send me an email. Understand that it has not been verified by anyone else. I built this spreadsheet like the last week and a half. And so just for my modeling, I will be doing other things on there. So buyer beware. Um, and also like uh, you break it, don't come back to me. <laughs> because that's been all my issues in the past. People take a spreadsheet, they break, and they have to come back and play tech support. Uh, but please take it and then put numbers in there and play around with it. Her second part of the question says, do you feel confident that there will be passive real estate funds are able to provide around a 17% return? Yes, I do um, from a high level because, uh, and I can send you a, a detailed uh, webinar on here that actually goes through it. But from a high level, you know, we're seeing massive price drops in a lot of these like apartment deals and, and commercial properties because they're really getting pinched by interest rates and they really hurt. So we're seeing like, we're not seeing like 
distressed properties on the you know residential side you know fourplexes duplexes single family homes like those prices are steady they've been choppy this year um but you know they look like they're going to stay stable and actually probably have modest appreciation next couple of years at least here in colorado and similar markets um but in the commercial assets we're seeing a lot of distressed uh, which means there's opportunities it's kind of like what the what we went through in 2000 and the resi side they're going through that same pain and i think it'll be the same opportunity out there and I've invested in deals the last couple of years where they have returned around those returns. And so I feel confident in the market. I also feel confident in the deals that we can find. So I can send you uh, more details on like, um, you know, a fund that would meet this criteria for you to like learn about and underwrite. Chris Line, I just asked you to unmute. So if you can hop on here. All right, see some other questions coming in here. Uh, oh, great question from Shannon. Uh, she says, thanks, Chris. Are the real estate funds you invest in only open to accredited investors? Uh, majority of those funds are accredited investors only. Um, some you don't have to be accredited for. Uh, and that really comes down to kind of having like a, a friends and family type relationship or pre-existing relationship. And a lot of times the way the deal is structured. So majority of funds out there, both mine and just around the industry, most require to be a credit investor, uh, but there are some where they uh, they can take a small amount of unaccredited investors if you have a pre-existing relationship. Now, cool thing is that uh, we should be seeing sometime next year uh, to go out there and where rather than being like an income-based test or a net worth test to be a credit investor, you can actually take a, a, a merits-based test, like an online quiz is my presumption, and go out there and actually say, hey, if you pass this test, you have uh, the under, you have the ability to go out there and invest in these deals. And I hope that happens. That's such a better way than saying, oh, you have this income? Because there's a lot of uh, you know high-income earning people that don't have the investor mindset and I know a lot of people in real estate have a great investor mindset. They don't have the balance sheet to be a credit investor so far. Uh, Follow-up question from Angeline. She wants to see how it compounds over time. Yes, I totally get it. And I'll play around with it in a minute as well. Another question. Can you sell a property and do a 1031 exchange into a passive real estate fund? Oh, that's a whole other webinar on. Uh, and we'll actually, I'll give you the short answer. Um, I've done a lot of detailed stuff on here. But this has been like one of the like million dollar questions for me as an investor. And also I think from like, you know, a market standpoint, like we're talking a billion or trillion dollar type question because people want to go out there and minimize tax gains. So majority of funds do not allow you to go out there and do a 1031 exchange. If you have a million dollars or more, um, the economics can make sense where you can do it. And that's just because there's extra like legal cost and legal contracts. So a minimum threshold has to kind of make it worth the while on there. But kind of like what we talked earlier with what Michael did with selling his or, you know, cashing out his 401k and getting a bunch of depreciation. There's a lot of ways you can um, have the benefits of 1031 without doing it and get into a great asset, but greatly reduce your capital gains. And I meet with like sponsors. I look at all these different structures. Like I have been on a mission last year and a half. I said, I want to do this for myself. And help a lot of clients do it. How do I minimize it? Sometimes it makes sense to pay taxes, invest in the fund. Sometimes it makes sense to go out there and do a 1031. There are some really cool opportunities that we will have available next year uh, that will have uh, some 1031 ability um, in some very specific, you know, like REIT type formats or strategies 
which we might be able to do it. So stay tuned. Uh, but right now, I will send some information. My recommendation is plug your properties into the software. Use that QR code, Angeline, and set up a time. And let's have a one-on-one -on -one talk about it with either me or one of my team members because it is so nuanced. All right, question from Michael. Michael says, I want to invest in passive real estate syndications, but I can't use losses from syndications to offset my high tax bracket W-2 income. But my wife is a real estate professional status. Any suggestions? I've heard of grouping my real estate with a syndication and materially participating 500 hours. Is that possible? All right. So be broken record. I am not your CPA or one CPA, but here's what I have learned over the years as an investor, uh, talking to a lot of people and being a part of a lot of deals. So the first part of your question, Michael, of uh, saying you can't use losses, but if your wife uh, is a real estate professional, if she meets it, like the real estate professional status, and she meets those in, the criteria, I believe that since she meets it, um, the income, uh, any real estate losses uh, can be uh, across your income as well. So I'm the exact opposite. I'm a real estate professional status. My wife is a veterinarian, so she's a W-2 you know, um, uh, income earner. So last couple of years, I've done some heavy depreciation or through cost eggs um, where it's wiped out my investment income, my income as a real estate entrepreneur, and also wiped out her W-2 income as well. Now, the assets I have sold have either been in my name or my name and her name. I'm assuming your assets are probably in both your names. And I don't know if it has to be in like her name since she's a status. But I think we're in reverse and it's been able to work for me. So I would go double check that and I would go talk to your CPA. If you need a more investor, uh, a real estate friendly one, uh, let me know. Shoot me an email. I can make an introduction uh, later this week. But I believe uh, you should really dig into that more because I think you might be able to have that offset that way. The second part of the question is, how can you go out there and achieve that real estate professional status? And he talked about uh, grouping his real estate uh, and participating 500 hours. Is it possible? Uh, it's possible if you do 500, 500 hours of material participation. I don't know if there's like any like workarounds uh, to go out there and do it for you know syndications and that. I've never looked at it. Um, but I think the big thing is, hey, if you put in that 500 or 750 hours, do you meet it? Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate with, hey, since my business is in real estate investing, you know, as a broker, as a capital raiser, as an educator, like pretty much everything I do counts towards that, plus my own investing activities. So I would first look to see if your wife's qualification allows you to, to benefit from it before you go out there and like put in your, your own 500 hours, Michael. But again, I'm not a CPA. All right. Let's see here. Cool. I see some of their questions, but they are repeats on here. Um, yes, uh, anyone can go create the Propulama account, set up a time, go to Propulama.com or just scan that QR code. And then what I'll be doing as well, like I said, uh, we have January, May, it might be in February at this point, uh, but we are talking with a couple uh, IRA custodians. They are the people that specialize in these self-directed IRAs, help structure them and set them up. I'm doing some detailed webinars to actually go through all the mechanics because I've been through it, but I'm not qualified to teach about it. Plus, it's it's boring. So I want the expert to come teach on there. So we'll be doing more webinars on this in the future. And we'll have hopefully some great resources available as well to help you navigate this. 
But in the meantime, if you need any help with IRA stuff, I'm happy to share my experience with you. I set up I set up my first one about three years ago. I'm investing passively. I've absolutely loved it. And that's what's given me more confidence to go out there and roll over my wife's IRA to a self-directed IRA. But uh, I know we're a few minutes past the hour. I appreciate everyone coming out. I appreciate the questions. They are awesome. And I appreciate uh, everyone just going through uh, some meaty topics. If you have other topics around real estate investing or, or, or IRA investing in particular, let me know. And we'll do more topics on there. Because I've got like, I mean, I don't know what I do here. Like, this is all just me like geeking out myself half the time. Um, I started doing some like backdoor Roth IRA stuff this year or researching it. So lots more fun content coming out. Uh, if you have questions, experience, please share. I love to teach. I also love to learn. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Mm -hmm.